right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Paul, joined as always by my notorious compadre, my best buddy, Mr. P.I.Z. Pizza Mind. How you doing over there in uh, the sunny state of Texas? I'm ecstatic right now, and I don't even have any cute stories or introductions because our boy John Purifoy is here. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, one of the nicest guys in crypto, the smartest guys in crypto, hopefully Truly. the richest guy in crypto. Uh, <laughs> just an amazing individual. I'm going to shut up and just let him talk for the next 30 minutes. John, welcome finally to the Crypto 101 podcast. Well, thank you both so much for the kind introductions. <laughs> it is great to be with you guys. It's great to be on this podcast. It's funny, you know, I think we've been doing this for nearly three years. I remember last, yeah. I think the first time that we ever actually had the podcast was I think after I'd stayed up all night programming something and it was right after COVID hit. Yeah, um, that's right. March. Maybe on the Digital Currency Summit, uh, pretty much every single one. Uh, and the 15, 20 minute interviews are just not enough over there to pick your brain. And we're always talking about like market conditions and stuff over there, but we want to know what you're actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis. You work for a company called Floating Point Group. Started the and that's company. not a Yeah, that's not a bunch of lily pads in a river. You guys are a bunch of MIT geniuses uh, providing an edge. Tell us what exactly is Floating Point Group and give us your journey to this point today. Please. Well, 100%. And also, I have to say, the expression lily pads in a river is an amazing expression that I need to use more often. Um, <laughs> it's all yours. Yeah. If, for those that maybe don't know me, yeah, I'm John. I grew up in the Midwest in Missouri. I went to school at MIT, studied electrical engineering, computer science, physics, studied a lot of things around data modeling, data prediction, and data science. I did that a little bit in equities for a while, and I had a friend of mine who was like crypto, and so, of course, had to jump in the crypto ecosystem and kind of dive in head first. And it's really been an amazing journey. And I think one of the things, so we started working in the space in 2018, and we started kind of a quantitative systematic fund. Uh, we were doing statistical arbitrage between different places. And to do that, we had to build a lot of systems. We had to build systems to manage capital, build systems to connect to exchanges, build systems to handle execution of trades. And we realized that by doing that, we just had to build a lot of infrastructure, a lot of operational stuff. And we wondered if, as the ecosystem grew, if there was value to providing those things at a larger scale. So that was really what the mission of Floating Point Group is. Our mission is to build more secure and efficient access to the cryptocurrency markets. And we really do that with two core products, the first of which is called Agency OTC Execution, kind of block trading for institutions, right? If you want to buy, say, $5 million of Ethereum or sell, say, $20 million of IOTA. On the other side of that, we do prime financing and settlement. So this is a product that we're really excited about called Flow Vault that actually helps enable quantitative funds to both manage collateral and capital across exchanges, get lower trading fees, save on operational cost, and in, no, and in summary, have better security across those places too. So that's really what Floating Point Group is all about. But at a core, you can just think of us as a bunch of smart people trying to provide some people some edge. <laughs> trying to talk to a bunch of other smart people to, to make the smart people more money uh, because you guys are mostly working with hedge funds, right? I mean, guys who either have proprietary capital, they're trading on their own, or they've raised money from some rich LPs, and now they're trading and they say, hey, crypto markets are pretty inefficient. You got several different venues all around the world. I can't just go fire off you know, a $5 million order uh, or else I'm going to have slippage. And so 
um, you know, you, you work a lot with all these hedge funds. How are they kind of thinking about the market? Like, as you guys are talking, like, you know, is, is the bear market, uh, kind of causing your clientele to pack up and say, okay, well, I don't need, I don't need to use floating point group because we're not trading anymore. Or people saying, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to double down here because these are some great prices. Yeah, it's a really great question. So I think I'd first say that institutions and hedge funds right now are looking at crypto through a very interesting lens. If you look at genuinely how the market's been over the past month, it's held up incredibly well compared to equities and other risk assets. And so yeah. I think when people are seeing that, they're very emboldened by this idea that maybe crypto, maybe there is really some underlying use case driving some amount of fundamental values, fundamental revenue, fundamental excitement. Uh, and because of that, it's really holding in quite well. So I think people are getting really excited about that. I think the other case is it's just a different investment case, right? Consider something like Ethereum, which now, you know, you can make somewhere between four to 6% staking it. When you consider right. a dollar, which is literally being inflated at say 9% a year versus yeah. say holding Ethereum, which is now deflationary and you can stake it for 4%. It's kind of a win-win case for a lot of these people who are just sitting on excess assets that they want to drive yield from. So I think that's a really important comment to say, which is just, it's another use case that people are kind of seeing for money itself. And people get really, really enticed by that. I think the only other thing to comment on here is, you know, I saw this interesting article this morning, which was commenting that if you look at the actual number of developers active in Ethereum, the price of it might be down 40%, but the amount of active projects is up about 60%, right? So the reality is you're seeing a lot more people come into it. It truly is kind of a good time to build in a lot of ways. And I think people are getting enticed by that. Um, the last thing I'd say is we've actually seen this really interesting group of customers really come out of the woodwork, which are a lot of groups that aren't necessarily hedge funds, but groups operating in the space that are touching crypto for one reason or another. So think about a game studio that might receive proceeds in, say, cryptocurrencies, or say a new protocol being built out that receives grants from several different foundations, right? They have to manage these treasuries, think about how this capital is deployed, make sure they don't impact the markets they trade in, and helping them think through a lot of those concepts, that's actually really cool to me. Because hedge funds are wonderful for making markets efficient, but we want efficient markets because we want to build things. And so it's really awesome to kind of get to work with both sides of so what are you seeing from these hedge funds when they're examining these projects? Is it the fundamental values and the tokenomics of a project? Is it cash flow earnings through the tokens and blockchain revenues? Or are they looking at like market health and liquidity and they don't care what the token does? Like what is the baseline qualifying factor for a hedge fund to make a token investment today? I think for most hedge funds, this, it's still pretty much speculation. Right. When you think about what time frame most of these hedge funds are thinking about, they're thinking about maybe a year, maybe two, maybe three at best, right? As kind of we were talking about earlier, right? Hedge funds make money when their right when their clients' assets go up, right? So they probably don't mind waiting around a year or two, but they're probably not going to wait around for 20 or 30 years. Um, so I think the first and foremost reason people are looking at is speculation. And I think you see that in the markets, right? The reality is that I think helium was a really good example of this, right? The price of helium has been on a tear for most of the past eight months, although definitely corrected a lot more recently. And yet I think what the stats are, it costs like $20,000 a month to get like one gigabyte through them when Comcast can give it to you for five. So it's definitely pretty clear that the cost of these things is still driven much by speculation. I think the second avenue is you're seeing this interesting thing develop where, yeah, people are finding different and novel use cases for a lot of these cryptos. Um, and I think that's definitely generating a lot of buzz and interest. And I think there's still very much a FOMO mentality, 
So for instance, one of the projects that it's looking to release pretty soon is Aptos, right? Aptos trades hundreds of millions at a pretty good valuation. And the people are really excited about that because for them, this is getting an early on something that might be a next Solana or Ethereum, right? So just as I think in other markets, you know, you have the Uber and then you have the Lyft come after it. I think in crypto, you're seeing a lot of cryptos maybe rise and fall and people are banking that maybe there's these other projects they can get in that will really kind of carry them to the moon. So I think that's the other side. The only last thing I'd say is I think you're also seeing people really look at the tokenomics in a more game theory sense. And I think this was going to happen eventually, right? I think the easiest example of this is like Mango Markets, right? So, right, the <laughs> right, like he de-anonymized and he's like, oh, like it was just a trade. Like I put in this money and it was a gamble and I did this thing and I made this money. He's like, I depleted your insurance fund. That, that, that's not my fault. You guys should have had a bigger insurance fund. <laughs> exactly. His argument is literally like, well, screw those guys. Let's just go get the protocol holders back and like say la vie, all is fair and love it more. Now you can ask yourself if he did that just because he got de-anonymed, which probably was the case, probably. or if it's because that was actually what he wanted to do. But I think the statement I'm saying here is I think people are really starting to look at some of the mathematical models behind this stuff and the impact of that um, and what result that's having on clients, right? And so this yeah. matters with like when token vestings are happening, how people are doing airdrops, what rate things are inflating at, right? People are really starting to think about these things as independent economies, and that's an interesting lens to view them through. Definitely. Yeah, and crypto is just vary so much in terms of like, you know, liquidity, for instance, and uh, like you mentioned, the inflation rates and the staking uh, yield that some of these, so there's just so many factors to model. Um, what do you guys provide to, to hedge fund clients? Are you guys, are, are, is it pretty, you know, standard price and volume time series datas, or do you really kind of get into some nitty gritty, like granular market uh, data? In terms of what data we give to clients, this really depends on what the client wants. We have some clients that are highly crypto native, right? They're quant funds, systematic funds, doing systematic arbitrage. What they pretty much want is a direct connection to an exchange, incredibly low latencies, great fees, and good security and insurance across their assets. And they really don't want other things, right? They don't want to go through your trading API. They don't want you to execute any transactions for them, right? They do those things and they do those things every day very well. So they want to be able to focus on what they're corely good at. And I think that was something that we had to understand and appreciate, which is I think you come into crypto and you're like, wow, no one's got anything. So I'm going to build everything and I'm going to sell everything for a billion, jillion dollars. Uh, <laughs> and I think the reality is there's a lot of smart people in this space, right? And I think these smart people solve problems in really interesting ways. So to the question of what data we give people, it's kind of really based on client needs. If they're more crypto native, then we're going to probably give less data and just give them direct. If they're less crypto native, then it's about finding a way to communicate with people what important things are. Where are the cash flows they can expect from this? Where What could the market do over the next, say, 6, 12 months? Um, we're actually releasing an analysis that I actually just finished up really shortly, uh, exactly diving into this topic because we're very interested by it. So I think it's really about giving funds the data that they want. And the only last thing I'd say is to me, the earmark of communication, uh, and it's funny, I think communication is like the most scalable skill ever. Uh, I think the best forms of communication can communicate across a variety of audiences, right? So I think it's about finding ways to not only give people the data, but understand and communicate what that data is for and what meaning it has. Um, so that's maybe some of the data and various models that we're providing to clients. Being the human Bloomberg terminal that you are, <laughs> what was it that made you want to focus on crypto and blockchain when you could literally do anything in the world? I mean, medical science, AI, uh, engineering, 
what if, for whatever reason, this is what you pick to do with your life? What was it about this space or this mm. technology that you're like, I have to be part of this? You have a good question. So <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, I was really fascinated by AI. I think I used to stay up nights in my room and I wrote a program that would try to like, you know, write essays and things, hallucinate words. This was like before GPT-3 or whatever. And now I was just going to say that. <laughs> Yay. And now everyone's doing it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> You were uh, onto something, though. You were onto something. I was. I was like twenty years too young for it. Um, <laughs> no, so so I was really fascinated by AI, and I loved AI, and I went to school, and I learned about AI, and I got the chance to work with some brilliant researchers and some brilliant professors uh, on building AI models to effectively understand the brain, consciousness, to solve physics problems, to solve gravitational waves. We 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 did a lot of work. It was really awesome. But there were two things I learned from that. One is that I love AI, but AI is in a rut. And I'm not optimistic about what AI will do over the next 10, 15 years. I think it will do some interesting things in the commercial world as we see it more applied in more spaces. But I think at a fundamental level, it's not really going to hit many breakthroughs in the next 10-ish years. Um, and I'm pretty happy to say that my conclusion there is actually coming mostly true. The second thing that I'll say about it is academia research doing hardcore work uh, is useful, but it doesn't teach you how to actually really change the world, I think. I think if you're really going to do big things, it's about building a team, right? It's about getting people to come on your podcast and sharing ideas with them. It's about building a team and teaching them how to do new things. It's about inspiring people, making people wake up and feel a fire. Mm. And I don't think academia teaches you that. And I wanted to do something and I wanted to work in a space that teaches you that. I think crypto does it because in crypto, nothing's built. So you're going to have to build up, build, get up and make everything yourself. And if you want a space that lights people up like a firecracker, crypto is an amazing spot for that. Um, and so that's why I chose to work. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. That's probably one of the best. I, we asked that question to a few people, and that's that's a great answer um, because it's so true. I mean, it's crypto's at the crossroads of so many different uh, you know, passions and industries. And uh, I think you got a great mentality on that. However, I want to backtrack uh, to your point about AI being uh, quote unquote unremarkable, I think was the word. Um, but but that's a, that's a, um, it's a hot take and it's a contrarian take. I think a lot of people you hear, 
kind of Elon Musk. Oh, AI is going to change the world. Look, we could now have self-driving cars. AI is going to change the way we trade. Just, you know, have a program do it for you. So so where where is the disconnect between the mainstream and then a guy who actually knows what he's talking about like you? Uh <laughs> Well, no. So, so, so first off, self-driving cars agreed. That's one hundred percent going to happen with AI. I have no doubts over that. I think that's more of a regulatory issue than anything else, to be honest with you. So, I'm not even convinced AI is relevant for it. Right? Uh, trading. Oh, that that's one hundred percent already AI. Right? Renaissance yeah. solved that problem years ago. Um, yeah, I think I think when you think about what artificial intelligence is really intended to do, like think creatively, solve hard problems, right? Like go watch, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like Star Trek, right? I love Star Trek. Uh, there's a fake, there's an android in Star Trek named Data, right? And he's like awesome. And he has like human feelings and the whole thing is a quest. I think when you really ask yourself about some of the fundamental goals of what AI is about, which is really creating intelligence that operates differently than humans, possibly at superhuman speeds, is able to think creatively, is able to do things well. I don't think we're there. I think we've automated things. I think that's great. I think automated driving is good. I think automated trading is good. I think automating a lot of banking is good. And I think we'll do that in crypto. But I, I don't think we've really... Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You hit the point when, you know, we can create an AI that can be born like a little baby and learn how to walk or like learn how to flip burgers, right? Mm. Um, and just and just think about like the levels of both autonomous as well as artificial that it needs to be, right? Like my brother just had a kid and I went and saw it. And like the kid does nothing. The kid just like stares and like moves around. <laughs> Like we can't even make AI to do that. Like we, like we can make a robot that will like tell it, like, oh, okay, move it from here to here, like walk forward, like pre-program these sets of instructions. But mm. to actually discover and learn, we are giving it everything. Um, 
and and I think that that's because, and maybe this is where I'll go into the why, not really the how. I think it's because neural networks are a really powerful tool, and we've definitely seen a lot of evolution of them. But neural networks are a little bit misleading because they're very bespoke and singular-minded way of viewing kind of artificial intelligence and connectedness in humanity, right? Uh, it's just kind of these like massive soups of these neurons with weights that are trained on massive sets of data. Um, and I think that's good, but that's not how a baby learns, right? A baby doesn't learn how to read by like reading 10,000 books, right? It learns how to read by understanding and intuiting out of human situations. And so I think it's really going to take us taking a step back, rethinking the way a lot of humans understand and learn, the way a lot of animals do, organisms do, things like that. Because um, like, yeah. I like, would even. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go for it. I would even go as far as to say like AI has hit that wall and slowed down so much because that's not the direction it's supposed to go. Why recreate a human being when human beings already exist? Instead, let AI become its own thing and let it evolve the way it wants to in its own kind of little universe. I think in that case, uh, it might take off like a slingshot. Should somebody do that? No, I, I, I do agree with you there. The idea of, hey, let's use AI to be good for the things that it's good at. So it's funny because I remember when I was in school and everyone always used to come in and like, oh, let's use AI for this. Let's use AI for that. And I always had to like level set with people. I'm like, look, there are problems AI is great for, right? Like, um, uh, okay, yeah, like very easy examples. So we did surrogate modeling in physics, right? So say, for instance, you had like two black holes, right? That were like orbiting each other and they were producing some set of gravitational waves, like gravitational disturbances, right? And you were located on Earth like a million miles away, right? And you received this signal of like that gravitational Yeah, totally. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, right, that's like a pretty like like normal case in physics world, right? You have some scenario and it's happening far away from you and you have no idea what's happening, but you're seeing some signal from it. And so you can model that, right? You can go to paper and you can start writing down all the equations and you can say if two black holes that are both 100 kilograms like are orbiting each other at five distances and Earth is this far away and located here, then like this is the signal we see, right? And so that's actually how we do it. So that's how we solve those problems. So we literally do this backwards modeling where we simulate a bunch of these black holes and then we just pattern match the signal we see to what we, what is like we think might be it. Uh, and so AI is great for that, right? Because AI can do that a thousand times faster than human and it can do the backwards and everything calculation. Um, so yeah, 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 you're definitely right. Like AI is great to solve some problems. I'm just not convinced those are the interesting problems. Like I know how to drive. Like, oh, okay, that's, that's not hard. Like I want like AI to like write me a poem that like I never thought of or never dreamed of before because uh, I don't know how to write a poem, right? Or I want AI to like be able to do research and think of ideas and improve humanity at rates that I can't because uh, I want to make it a little smarter, right? Or I want AI to be able to teach me and like at 50 times the effectiveness of traditional schooling, right? I think there's like a lot of problems that AI just is not well suited to solve today. And I think those are the most hard problems and those fun problems. Um, so at least until that happens, I'll be in crypto. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh, there's some breakthroughs uh, here within the next decade or two. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll learn about those as they come. But, but of the things that are existing um, and are impactful uh, and are in crypto, what sectors of crypto kind of interest you? Are you like a DeFi, purebred, that's, that's it, and everything else is trash? Or are you like... A Bitcoin maxi? Are you a GameFi sort of uh, elite kind of gamer? Where do you fall on the spectrum? I really appreciate your question. So I buy, I think what I believe the most, so it's like a spectrum of what I believe. I, buy, I believe the most that crypto will own the back end. 
right? Okay. I think all stocks will be tokenized. I think all houses will be NFTs. And I buy that all titles will also be NFTs. And when you send money from here to Zimbabwe, I do think that'll be done with a crypto. So I really buy the Web 2.5 thesis, right? If you ever, like, title insurance is an insane thing to me, right? The idea that when you buy a car, you have to pay, like, 1% or 2% of the value of the car because someone along that chain may have written down the wrong name as who owns the car. <laughs> That's, like, a crazy concept to me. So I, I think it makes sense to NFT all that. Yeah. And so I buy, the, I buy Web 2.5. I buy that it'll change the back end. What I'm less... Obvious on, and I'd honestly be curious your thoughts because you talk to a lot of people. I'm less clear how it will change society. I'm less clear like how much self-sovereignty it will give. I'm less clear about how much it will like actually take away power from, say, centralized authorities or governments or things like that. Um, so I buy the Web 2.5 thesis. I'm relatively bearish on Web 3. I think the reality is regulation is pretty much going to stamp out most of the societal innovation side of this stuff. And it's pretty much just going to make it a back office technology most people don't interact with. I think that all your Bitcoin wallets are going to be profiled by the government and they're still going to know where every dollar you have is kept. I think Bitcoin's even worse than traditional means because at least if I give you 20 bucks right now, the government doesn't know it. Uh, and if I give you 20 bucks in Bitcoin, they 100% will. And so to me, like I'm very scared about the world it creates. I've started to become a little bit more optimistic on that. Uh, but yeah, anyways, so the parts of crypto that I buy, I really buy the web 2.5 thesis. Fidelity has 50,000 people. The entirety of crypto market has less than 10,000. Like we will destroy banks. No questions about it. Uh, in terms of how that changes society, I do not know. Hey, I'm going to money 2020 and it's full of TradFi payment processors, uh, people that all work with fiat. What should I tell them about their industry? Have fun staying poor. <laughs> what, do I, what do I tell them? Uh, yeah, yeah, you have a great question. Uh, you can say that was what money looked like in 2020. Um, hey, I think, I like no, no kidding. I, I, yeah, I, th I, I think a lot of those people might, I don't think those firms will collapse. I just think that they're going to end up using crypto on the back end of all of it. And I think their product teams are going to be way smaller. And I think there's going to be like a convergence of many of those firms, right? Uh, like there's an old story that FX trading back in the 90s, there was like 5,000 traders in the entirety of New York City. And now there's like 5,000 traders across the world that trade FX, right? The reality is these markets become electronified. And the reason wow. why Web2 or whatever you want to call it, the reason why email never took over PayPal was because we couldn't solve this digital currency problem. Now we have. We solved it with Bitcoin. And so I think a lot of the companies that are using these legacy payment rails, I think they're in serious trouble. Um, because yeah, but simply like there shouldn't be much market share going to those things. Like if I send you a dollar, that really shouldn't cost me more than like five tenths of a five cents. Um, and so that's at least how I see it. So yeah, you can tell them that's what money looked like in 2020. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. That's the greatest answer. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, kind of the thesis that you posit around the, the overblown uh, societal impact that crypto might have. And it's so funny, like, you know, having been around the industry for so long, it, the, the ideas change, right? Like when it was just Bitcoin, everybody was like, well, Bitcoin exists. And it was stamped in the, the, the very first block of Bitcoin in 2009 that it was created because, uh, you know, the government, uh, you know, in the central bank ran the economy into the ground and, and you know, they printed money and everybody uh, who was a saver of the U.S. dollar was debased, uh, and, and you know a better money fixes um, you know the world. And, and then as as that kind of like inflation hedge 
uh, thesis was proven to, to not really be true, uh, you know, everybody looks for a new thesis and it's like, okay, well, um, you know, you know, web, web three, right. That's the new catch all term, um, for, for these new front ends that are going to be, um, you know, self-sovereign and, you know, th- now the government comes and starts to regulate a lot of these front ends out of existence. And then you kind of, you know, uh, pivot a little bit of, of what your thesis is. But I do think at the end of the day, having a, a, a financial system that, you know, is global, um, and no longer having, you know, liquidity fragmented across every country, but being able to have everything kind of anchored to the Ethereum blockchain, like that should have uh, probably broad societal impacts, more efficient markets. And then if you think about just like financing in developing worlds, um, having a, a centralized lender um, who doesn't look at your credit score of your country or who doesn't look at your identity, your documents and all that kind of stuff, but just says, hey, like, are you willing to put up, you know, 150% collateral uh, and over collateralize this loan? Like, I know you have these assets. Um, we'll be able to loan against that, um, you know, something like MakerDAO. Like, to me, that does make a lot of sense. Um, and there, there's definitely, I think, with, you know, um, you know blockchain-based voting, um, being able to have a little bit more transparency around um, the vote and, and as well as, you know, kind of, uh, how tax dollars are appropriated, being, but again, does the government want to uh, to allow something like that? Who knows? Definitely, the American government doesn't. Definitely, you know, the Chinese government doesn't. But uh, maybe there are some uh, governments out there that are uh, that are willing to be a little bit more open with with blockchain based voting. But who knows? So um, there's an interesting analogy, uh, which says that there are some technologies that decentralize power and there are some technologies that centralize power, Mm. right? Uh, A tank, for instance, centralizes power. It's incredibly expensive to build, hard to maintain, and you have to store it someplace. The AK-47 decentralizes power, right? Probably more revolutions have been fought around the world using the AK-47 small pistols and small ARs than anything else, right? But not that many revolutions are thrown with tanks because it's hard to get a tank. I don't know if it's clear whether or not crypto will decentralize or centralize power, right? You're exactly right. It gives the power for you to use micro data to give loans to people in Indonesia. But at the same time, it allows the government of Indonesia to know exactly who has the money and exactly where they live. Hmm. And so I think there's definitely strong pros and cons to this stuff, and I don't know how it works out. Maybe I'll end really quick. You commented on the government. Uh, Yeah, it was funny. I was at the crypto conference in the Bahamas this year. It was funny it was in the Bahamas. It had some of the biggest names in the space, senators from the U.S. even, uh, and mm. yet it was located outside of the U.S. So I definitely agree with you that regionally speaking, it's really interesting to see how these flows are taking place. Um, yeah. And it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that rolls out. But yeah, I, I don't know if crypto will end up being more or less, make a more or less decentralized world. I just don't know. Yeah. I think uh, it might just do a little bit of both, you know, but it's definitely going to change. Um, you know, we even have the Fed Now system coming out, which is uh, like a long-awaited update to the federal wiring system that was forced to be created because crypto is so much more efficient. Central banks are now having to compete with crypto to stay in business. Mm-hmm. So that's very, very fascinating, and it's going to stay a fluid situation as more and more contenders now enter the tournament. Like you mentioned, Fidelity. We just had BNY Mellon, the oldest bank in the U.S., say, okay, we're going to start playing in this space now. So the sandbox is getting bigger. There's bigger kids coming into the sandbox. Uh, and there's going to get some 
some castles are going to get kicked down, <laughs> to be honest, one way or another. But that's okay. Uh, that's how evolution and progress happens. Uh, John, we would love to continue this conversation for another like hour, but we're going to need to get some closing thoughts for the moment. And I, I, I have I have a closing thought, and I think John yeah. had one before we get there. Let's do that. But I, I, I John, you go first, and then I'll follow up on you because I see you want to say no, something. I was just going to say I very much agree with your point on Fed now and it pushing the needle. The reality is, crypto is showing us what a better world can look like. Right. And I think that's really exciting. Like it's showing us a world of like more. The reason why I love working in the financial services space in crypto is because in traditional finance, this stuff is run on servers that were built by ADP back with Cobalt in the 1950s or whatever. <laughs> and I think it's so exciting to get to build that from the ground up. Right. So when we're getting to build systems for user permission and user control, when we're building systems for collateralization, when we're building systems to execute trades across the liquid markets, that's awesome because people haven't done that. And it's really fun to do it. And so I agree with you. If nothing else, crypto has at least given us the opportunity to build a better world. And it's on us to make sure that happens. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be, be uh, like shades of gray, right? Like you think back to the early days of the internet um, and crypto being actually just an evolution, like an appendage of the internet in a sense. And I think, you know, when the internet first came out, you know, it was pretty centralized. Like, you know, it's a, a couple different colleges that you could send messages back and forth and it could kind of do a few things. And then, then it really blew up, right? But it blew up into this big decentralized thing. Everybody's running their own little internet node and AOL and all this kind of stuff. And then it becomes really centralized where it's like now everybody was very decentralized and then it became everybody's going through Facebook or Twitter or using Netflix and like it's all going through the centralized services, but there might be a, a little renaissance of, of, of decentralization there. Uh, back to a little bit of the original, um, you know, kind of manifesto of the internet, um, this kind of global nationless uh, forum. And maybe crypto, much, yeah, restores the decentralization to the internet. I very much agree with you. Everyone knows error code 400 or error code 404. Yep. What some people might not be as familiar with is error code 402, which is payment required. Literally, when the internet was designed, it was designed with this idea of us doing payments over it in a decentralized manner. We've never been able to get to that until today. And it's mm -hmm. awesome to get to see that play out. Amazing. Well, we're definitely in the right place. It's the right time. Um, regulation is going to eventually get out of the way. We've even seen, you know, the airline industry deregulated after it took like 20, 30 years for the government to get comfortable that uh, these planes weren't just going to fall out of the sky on their own. So there is a much, much brighter day ahead. How far ahead? We don't know. Um, but we're going to be here. John's going to be here with us. Uh, and that's the place I want to be. So guys, thanks so much for being here with us at the Crypto 101 podcast. And we'll be back next week with more amazing guests. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.